Hello and welcome to the Dr. Richard podcast, the show about health, well-being, fitness and humanity. I'm Dr. Richard Marks. Today I'm excited to talk to Chris Sherwood. Hello. Hello. Chris is an actor known for his work in film, TV and theatre, as well as interested in fitness and personal training. So, Chris, how are you? I'm very well, yeah. And what three things make you smile? <laughs> um, okay, the first one, and it's a really important one actually, is seeing other people smile. Mm, and good. it'd be quite good to talk about that actually, because um, a lot of research has gone into that and mirror neurons and how smiling has a physiological impact on us. Yeah, um, smile and the whole world smiles with you. But there's actually yeah some a lot of in- research into that. Yeah, yeah, and and actually just smiling can make you feel happier and yeah, better absolutely. so seeing other people smile can't i can't help but smile good <laughs> um my husband who um is in so respects like, like like a dog when i well okay when i arrive home whenever i arrive home every single time i shout home and and he goes hooray <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he comes running out and and gives me a big hug it's, it's like having a little dog at home and that always makes me smile because he seems genuinely happy to see me, even if I've only been gone for half an hour. You know, um, <laughs> I'm sure he is genuinely happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, what else makes me smile? Um, sport makes me smile. Uh, sport has always been a very important part of my life. And you know, moving to London and London life got in the way of that to some extent. And certainly over lockdown, I haven't been doing any team sports. And when I did play again, and I was actually at Lords last night doing cricket training, um, I was cycling home. I was like, I was just on top of the world. I felt so good, and I was kind of smiling all the way home. I put some music on, and there's just something about playing sport with other people, the the sense of community and team spirit that always makes me smile and feel good. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, because you're originally from Leicestershire, right? And then yeah, yeah. I was born in Crewe in Cheshire and lived there for a bit, and then Leicestershire is sort of my home. Yeah, more countryside. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a small market town called Ashby de la Zouche. Um, Great. So, yeah. Yeah, but obviously, yeah, better for the cricket and things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, let's talk about how we met. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> we're living in the same apartment block on the South yeah. Bank. And, um, you know, I uh, did personal training with you <laughs> there. Yes, I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but... Uh, the phone rang and there you were asking for training. I was more than happy to oblige. We did quite a lot of training, including outside training. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, you were quite a machine in the gym, Richard. Trying, you know, hard I'm working. trying. It was good. You were a good, a good client. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I just try and, um, you know, commit to everything if I can, mm. you know. Um, well, that shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and obviously, Paul, being your husband, Paul Gantini, and he even came to see me in clinic and obviously you've been to see me in clinic as well (laughs) and um yeah and also you're in the video on my website of course yeah (laughs) that that was a couple of years ago now yeah Um, yeah i always enjoy coming into the clinic uh it's such a friendly warm welcoming place and you obviously put a lot of emphasis on making people feel warm and welcome and that's uh always incredibly important I've, i've never been too nervous about going to the dentist a lot of people are and i imagine that's uh really good for you to focus on yeah yeah i think it's about as you said making people feel relaxed making people feel it's a warm welcoming atmosphere and it's kind of like trust you know um 
it's a difficult thing if people are on edge but if you uh obviously very gentle and calm and you know take time and explain things then you can overcome that oftentimes so that's the great thing about it tell me about how fitness has been important in your life i've always been one of those people who loves moving and exercising and you know growing up i was never sat at a computer or watching tv i was always out in the garden playing sport shooting hoops in the basketball roller skating riding my bike um i'm just very lucky that that's how i'm naturally inclined to that kind of thing um, i get restless and frustrated when i'm sitting you know reading i enjoy reading but i always get restless and feel like i'm should be doing something else and want to be doing something else so physical activity has always been very important and now you know i'm 36 now and you start to feel things creaking a little bit and getting injured more easily and uh so i guess my emphasis has had to shift from just having fun with my body <laughs> to actually kind of looking after it a bit better and eating slightly better because you start to notice of it's course, not quite it so harder. easy yeah um and i remember I, I, I did gymnastics when I was young and then I picked it up again at university and it was when I was at university that I just without even trying developed a, a physique um I, I didn't even go to the gym I just did gymnastics mm. and uh and that was a, a rewarding experience because you you know people compliment you on it um then I moved to London after university and kind of wanted to maintain that and that was when I got into going to the gym and I was working in advertising for seven years and all I did really was gym work and I actually didn't find it massively fun what I did like was the sense of community that you find in gyms uh, you know having grown up in a small town where you knew everyone and you always felt like you were part of something and then you, suddenly you're in London and you're completely anonymous and so I found that sense of community that I missed in gyms and that was what kept me going back really and uh, it was only a few years later that I discovered some of the sports teams, particularly LGBT sports teams that I became involved with. Um, moving to London allowed me to come out and be myself, but going and joining a sports team as a gay man was quite intimidating. So I just didn't do it. And then I discovered Grace's Cricket Club, um, the uh, Irons Golf Society, which is now called Out to Golf, a Stonewall Football Club. and again, found a home and a sense of community there and that allowed me to get back into sport. So yeah, sport and physical activity has always been very important to me. When I left advertising and became an actor, I went to drama school, did a, a year at Central. I also recognized that I wasn't likely to earn a living at least straight away from acting alone. So I needed a second career as nearly every other actor has. So a very natural thing for me to do, given I lived in a building that you know very well that of had course. a gym in the basement mm -hmm. was to become a personal trainer so that's what i did um and a full-time six-week course i had a new career as a personal trainer yeah yeah you were very good very good <laughs> <laughs> thank you so let's talk about your approach to nutrition yeah I, i've always taken a very common sense approach to nutrition um i studied human sciences at university and so i've always had an interest in our evolutionary past and our body has evolved these homeostatic mechanisms to control everything and body fat levels based on a, a diet of natural food and there are very basic rules you can em employ that build on that um, so avoiding processed foods 
as much as possible and eating natural food. So my kind of staple go-to meals involve uh, meat and vegetables. Um, I have grains for breakfast um, and I avoid things like, you know, manufactured cereals like Weetabix that, you know, they're tasty and they're branded as being healthy, but they're mass produced and your body processes them very quickly. So you d you digest them very quickly and then you feel hungry very quickly. And, and this begins these cycles of unhealthy practices and unhealthy eating. So it's really just about taking a common sense approach. And I'm against fad dieting. Generally, I think making small changes over time is a much more healthy approach. Um, I know a lot of people do kind of binge diet to kickstart things. Um, but with certainly with my clients, uh, my first port of call is to make them do a food diary so I can look at everything they're doing. And rather than overhauling, giving them brand new diet plans, I'll just look at little things and, and talk to them about it and say, you know, this is this isn't very good for you. Let's how important is that to you? Could, could you do without that? Is there something else you could have? And just making one or two changes at a time actually can have quite a big impact over a long period of time. I think the other thing is that I do a lot of exercise and I cycle everywhere <laughs> so that I can afford yeah, a few uh, treats because, you know, chocolate and puddings uh, <laughs> are my weaknesses. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how long that will You've last. You've got to enjoy some time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You've got to do something that's sustainable, as you say. Like, um, if you're doing a binge diet, then you might, you know, really get into shape and see the way. But then if you just return quickly, it returns quickly, and you know, and you you can be back to almost square one. Yeah, and, and the, the binge diets have knock-on effects on the way that your body processes food when you start eating normally again. Mm. Um, so it's, it's dangerous cycles to get into. So gradual changes over time are much healthier. Mm. Tell us about sports clubs, those sports clubs that you're members of. What's your favourite one? And what? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. What is your favourite sport? Do you have one or, oh, or my favourite fav three? <laughs> my my favourite sport is probably surfing. Mm -hmm. And it's not something I grew up doing, but I always just had this weird passion for it and just knew I lo would love it. And when I became an adult, I got into surfing and I, I just have dreams about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And whereas a kid, I'd, I'd have dreams about going to theme parks, but all the rides were closed. And for, for whatever reason, I wasn't allowed to go on the rides or we'd get stuck in the car. Now I have dreams about surfing and arriving and not having a surfboard or not having my wetsuit and being there with perfect waves but not being able to go out. It's a weird, it's a weird dream, but I always have dreams about surfing. So surfing is that thing that sits most deeply, but I don't get to do it very often because I live in London. Um, skiing has a similar effect on me. Um, it's that combination of physical activity in nature, yeah, that, the nature. that has, um, you know, affects you in some deeper way that we don't fully understand. Uh, cricket is such a civilized, fun game. It's relaxed. It's social. It's out in the summer. Um, there's just something magical and very English about playing cricket with your friends uh, and not taking it too seriously. So Grace's Cricket Club is a great place for that. And uh, th that's probably the team I'm most involved with. I'm on the committee there and do a lot of, sort of press and publicity for them. Um, Stonewall Football Club are a great club. They, they do a lot of work. Um, are developing in really interesting ways and and the golf society as well um they're, they're all great sports and great clubs in, in lots of different ways so mm. it's just great to be involved and, and playing sport and 
you know, I see a lot of people kind of question why do you play for gay sports teams when, you know, aren't we furthering the segregation? And I guess for me, playing for those teams actually counterinstinctively means I'm not being defined by my sexuality because it's just a given that you're, um, you know, on the LGBT spectrum somewhere. And so we're not defined in those terms. We're, we're defined in the ways that we would be playing for a normal sports team. Whereas if you play for a so-called norm, so-called, uh, you know, a typical sports team, then, you know, you're the gay one. Uh, and, and I don't want to be that. And sports teams are known to be um, very macho, lots of toxic masculinity. Uh, it can be an uncomfortable place for gay people. And then the other thing is that we're changing perceptions. So it happened last season, actually. We were arranging a friendly fixture with another cricket club. And they were a bit nervous about playing us. They were saying, oh, you know, are you, are you any good? You know, we, we, we want to have a good game and, and maybe we'll find a fixture with someone else. They obviously thought that because we were a gay team, we wouldn't be very good. Um, and we turned up and we absolutely smashed them. <laughs> um, and they were worried about us not being very good. So it's really nice to, to turn up as a group of LGBT people. And in doing so, we're changing perceptions because it's counter stereotype. And they realize that we're just normal men who are good at cricket. And I remember we did a Facebook advertising campaign promoting the club and there were all sorts of comments from people saying, ha ha, can you imagine their run up? Um, you know, all the kind of classic uh, jokes about effeminate gay men. And, uh, you know, that that's not who we are. Okay. There's nothing wrong with being effeminate. Um, and we <laughs> we welcome that as well. But, you know, that's not all we are. I wanted to talk to you about the anti-domestic violence campaign you mm. supported and support um, all men. Um, obviously, I had seen you in a play as well, which featured that subject. So how did you become involved with that and what importance does it have? And, you know, what does it mean to you? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, I worked in advertising and one of the first clients I worked on was a charity called Women's Aid. It was a pro bono account. And uh, it was a subject that I didn't have any personal experience in, really. But reading about it, learning about it, being exposed to these real stories and the horrific statistics just made me realise what a major problem this is in this country and around the world. And it's such a taboo subject. And I've experienced it where friends suspect friends of beating their wives, but they don't do anything. They don't report it. They don't say anything. It happens behind closed doors. The psychological dynamics of domestic abuse are so troubling uh, and difficult for victims to overcome and get out of. Um, so it kind of captured my imagination. And I ended up working with Women's Aid throughout my whole career in advertising and have kind of continued to, in, in very small ways, really, um, be in touch and support where I can. It was the death of um, the murder of Sarah Everard that kind of got me thinking about it again and wanting to do something because there was a lot of talk at that point about reclaiming the streets, making the streets safer for women, which is absolutely a good thing. But we never see the same kind of communal response to the two murders that happen every week in this country of women in their home by current or ex-partners. And that frustrated me that actually the most dangerous place for women in this country is not the streets, it's in the home. Mm. 
And so I wanted to do something um, to try and drive that home and to get men in particular to consider that, to think about that and change their behavior. So I wrote a little script and sent it to Women's Aid and my friend at Women's Aid, Teresa Parker, who's worked for them for a really long time now and does incredible work. Um, she told me that Loveday Ingram and her husband, Ian Bartholomew, who's a Coronation Street actor, had had a similar idea. So she put us together and together we wrote this script, which involved getting lots of actors together to do a rallying cry, you know, for, for men to be better. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very small thing. It's not going to solve the problem but we hope it will be a starting point. It might make people think slightly differently. And um, yeah, as I say, it's it's a starting point and a, and a small thing towards trying to solve a massive, massive problem. And anything that raises awareness, obviously, is a good thing and you know, yeah. brings attention to the yeah, subject, yeah. as he said, which people don't always want to talk about. So yeah. So talk to us more about your acting career. How did you get into it? Um, why? Obviously, you said you went to um, Central and did uh, did that. But um, what drew you to acting? Acting has always um, been something that I've enjoyed in some way. Though I, growing up, I never identified myself as the kind of person who would be an actor. Because I was always involved in sport and... I couldn't do GCSE drama and GCSE PE, and it was I did GCSE PE, and also I didn't like the drama department in my school. It seemed to me, as an outsider, to be cliquey and slightly toxic, and it seemed to have a negative effect on some people that I knew were doing it. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to London that I got passionate about theatre. You know, I, before that, I went to a pantomime once a year in the odd school production, which I always loved. But I didn't realise the scope of theatre until I started seeing it, seeing off West End Theatre in London. And that was when I really fell in love with it. And I was seeing actors working for their job on stage who, not all of them, were great. And I was like, why are they acting? Oh, because they decided to. So I was like, well, I'm going to decide to act as well. So I then took steps while I was working in advertising to testing the waters. And I joined an amateur theatre company. I looked for drama courses, applied to Central. And the more I did it, the more it felt right. And it ties in to the degree I did, human sciences, which I did because I'm fascinated in human behaviour and human society. And that's a huge part of acting, is why is this person saying that and why are they behaving in that way? Um, and that's always been a subject of interest for me. And I get when you're acting, when we're rehearsing, that's we're having these conversations all the time and I love that side of it. So that was about eight years ago now and I've just been working away and slaving away and building and um, progressing as best I can. You know, a lot of it is out of our control, but you, the more you do, the more you get, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, tell us about what film projects you're working on at the moment, any that you can tell us about and theatre and what, what things are you working on at the, currently? Yeah, so um, I've just finished filming a couple of days on EastEnders, which was fun. Um, so that'll be coming out in a few weeks. A very small part, but it was interesting and, and nice to be involved. Uh, in the summer, I was away for a couple of weeks in the Cotswolds shooting a new BBC-produced series. It's called The Sister Boniface Mysteries, which is a spin-off of Father Brown. I was playing a German soldier in that, um, a guest lead role, one of the suspects, murder suspects. So I'm looking forward to that. 
And very excitingly, we have a film coming out called In From The Side as part of the BFI Flare Festival. Now, In From The Side was written by Matt Carter and Adam Silver. And it was also directed by Matt Carter, who was the director of photography. He shot it himself. He's edited it himself. He's done the music himself. He's an absolute machine. Um, and it's a film about a gay rugby team. <laughs> so naturally, this was a subject close to my heart. I played rugby at school, uh, not to a great level, but uh, I played. And uh, when this came up, I was like, oh, I'd love to be involved in that. So I auditioned and got a part playing the captain, Jimmy, of, of the rugby team in question. And it's a story of love and lust and friendship in the context of a gay, a fictional gay rugby team. I had the best time filming it with a great band of men. You know, we really bonded and they're such a hilarious group of people. We're all so different and the dynamics on set were hilarious. And I just can't wait to see those dynamics coming across on the film. Um, so that's that's exciting and it's sold out, unfortunately. So but look out for it when it goes on general release at some point in the future. Very exciting. And um, you once appeared in a music video as well. Talk to us more about that. Oh, I've done I've done a, done few, a few music videos. Wow. I wonder which one. I, I wonder if it was when Ooh. I was in drag. Yeah, well, um, I mean, talk, <laughs> you can talk about. Um, one of my favourite music video experiences was for a band called Auto Heart, who were one of my favourite bands, and they had a song called Oxford Blood. They were making a music video for that song, directed by Prano Bailey Bond, who's just released a film called Censored, which has done incredibly well. It's a horror film. Her debut feature is doing really, really well on the circuit. She's definitely one to watch. And um, in the lead role in this music video was a, a gender activist called Rain Dove playing the lead singer. And then I was one of her drag queen sidekicks. So it's my first experience of drag and I had to audition for it. But I you know, went to great lengths for this audition, this self-tape that I had to do because I was so desperate to work with Auto Heart because I just love them. Jodie Gadsden, the lead singer, his voice is just beautiful. Uh, and they're, they're great lads and it was a pleasure to get to know them a little bit. Um, so yeah, Oxford Blood, and it was just great fun being in drag and dancing, and had to learn a routine, and it was uh, yeah, it was a brilliant experience. And what about building your personal brand? What do you think about your personal brand? What does it <laughs> represent? <laughs> oh God, it's one of those I um, awkward things, isn't it? I, you know, I especially coming from the advertising industry where we dealt with brands all the time, and I think a lot of actors, um, you know, we are brands. That's absolutely what we are struggle with that concept and I know I do and I don't go to great lengths to create a brand I don't present much of myself on social media I don't do selfie videos talking about my life on set um, my posts are fairly limited in that respect maybe it's something I could do better but I just think you can't help what you're comfortable with mm. and what feels right for you and um, I do what feels right for me but I don't take a particularly scientific approach to that public presentation of myself my effort goes into trawling casting notices and trying to get myself auditions mm -hmm. and doing a really good job at auditions and doing workshops and becoming a better actor because I feel that's that suits me that gives me um, a sense of progress is to some extent tangible and it seems to be working for me, um, but uh, 
yeah, some external help on that might not be a bad thing at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you just do what works. And as you said, it's good to do what's comfortable with you for you. Um, you know, you can progress things, but it has to be natural at the same time and be authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So what are your plans for the future? <laughs> plans for the future? You know, I've never been one to make long-term plans. I have always been quite short-sighted and I see immediate goals and go, what do I need to do to achieve those? A lot of that has been focusing my attentions on what I enjoy, because I think if you focus your efforts on things that you enjoy in the short term, then that will lead to other things that you enjoy. And that was always the case when I was choosing my subjects at school. I chose my degree. I never quite knew what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. So I just did things that I enjoyed and worked really hard, whatever that was. And that strategy seems to be working for me. And so I'm just going to keep doing that and see where it takes me. Um, it's fun to just be in, in the moment and have half an eye on, you know, a year ahead. Uh, but I've, I've never been one for goal setting, you know, doing that kind of formal stuff. And, and again, it's that's just who I am and what I feel comfortable doing um i know a lot of people benefit from quite stringent goal setting regimes uh it's just not for me and and i'm happy with that so yeah well i think it's a good approach as well do what works for you again and um as you say in a way you can never really plan for the future because something will throw you off course anyway so um perhaps it's good in that way to if it works for you to just take each step at a time and see where you lead you know and it makes it exciting as you said yeah, yeah. You know, I think for most people, our goal is to be happy, right? And um, I think my approach to that is to not worry too much about my achievements and to focus on the things that are really important and that really make us happy, which is not money, is not being famous. It's It's about having good friends around you and being part of something, feeling like you belong in certain places. And I get that from playing for the sports teams and going out for lunch and dinner with good friends. And that's when I feel at my happiest. And I think putting too much emphasis on, I must earn this much money and I must get this job by the time I'm 40, etc., can lead to unhappiness. And it also leads to, your, to you comparing yourself to other people. And again, I don't think that's necessarily healthy in achieving your goal of happiness because we're all different we all have different backgrounds which you know different upbringings which we have had no control over and that all has an impact on us so it's just recognizing yourself and who you are and what your strengths are and acknowledging that and going hey that's just who i am and um i'm never going to be the person who's hounding all the casting directors in london every week because it just doesn't sit comfortably with me and yes, that probably comes at the price of not being known by many, as many casting directors as I could otherwise have been. But that's just who I am. And I'm happy with that. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good thing to think about is um, how social connections make you happy and concentrating on what makes you happy and kind of being comfortable with being yourself and taking the right approach for you. So you know, that's a great thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's a great you know, way I, to approach it. And, and I had to face that in a big way, you know, being myself when it came to coming out. 
um, especially given the person I was seeing at the time was Paul and he was 61 and I was 24. And so I was kind of coming out twice. I was having to say, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, in a relationship with a man. And uh, I'm also interested in older people. And it was always that way. Uh, and that was a major thing for me to kind of completely rebrand myself uh, from being this sporty straight guy to being um, a gerontophile, I suppose, which is someone who's interested in old, older people. But it was, it was difficult to do, but actually it was the best thing I did because um, you realize that, yes, it's, it's interesting for people for about five minutes. And I remember the news spreading around my hometown and someone texted me by accident saying, oh, my God, Chris Sherwood's gay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> and they were like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Um, Maybe they thought you didn't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously it was like spreading around. But then, you know, people people are much more interested in themselves than they are in us. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that was an interesting lesson for me to learn. And my life didn't change. I just carried on. And other people knowing this about me had zero impact on my day-to-day -day life. Uh, so that was kind of a, a, such a liberating moment actually well thank you for joining me chris oh, it's um, over already. <laughs> i know it was it's really brilliant to hear about obviously um your journeys and your fitness and nutrition um, importance on that the sports teams you're involved with um also that transition from advertising to your acting career and the things that you're passionate about and the bravery you've led in your life so far so it's very exciting and we'll be keeping an eye on all the projects coming up thank you so that's wonderful um you can follow him on at c underscore a underscore sherwood and links to him are in the show notes and um, thank you for listening if you like today's shows please rate and review wherever you get your podcast it was presented by me dr richard marks for more about me, I'm on at Dr. Underscore Richard Underscore, lots of underscores, <laughs> or visit my website www.drrichardlondon.com. Uh, this is a Pod People production. It was recorded at Spiritland Studios, and the music is by Delhi Music. And we will see you next time. Yeah.